Well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. I am looking forward to uh, getting into what God has for us from His Word uh, here this morning. I was telling a couple of our men this morning, uh, the past several weeks have been so heavy with the truth of Matthew chapter 5. And I'm rather excited to be able to preach a more light, light-hearted and encouraging message here uh, from 1 Samuel uh, chapter number 1. I heard the story about little Johnny. And uh, you know it's going to be good if it involves little Johnny, okay? Well, little Johnny forgot his lines in a Sunday school play on one Sunday. Uh, but lucky for him, his mom was sitting on the front row and she knew just what to say. They practiced his line so many times. So she sat on the front row and she began to try to mouth the words to him without saying anything. And uh, he just could not discern what she was saying. And his line just completely went away from his memory. And so finally his mom whispered as well as she could. And she told him his line and she said, I am the light of the world. And boy, with that... His eyes got real big and he smiled real big and said loud and clear, my mom is the light of the world. <laughs> I think that's a true story, actually. But Jesus really is the true light of the world. But our moms sure are a beautiful reflection of his light, aren't they? For many of us, our mother was really the first glimpse of Jesus that we had in our lives. Like Jesus, your mom loved you when you were unlovely. Your mother selflessly served you even when you didn't appreciate it. She sacrificially gave to you, putting her own needs aside to make sure you were taken care of. She cleaned up your messes, wiped away your tears, and in a thousand different ways, a mom demonstrates the love of Christ to her children. Now, sadly, I know that not every one of you in this room, we're blessed with getting to know your mom or even blessed with the kind of mom that I'm describing today. No mom is perfect, certainly. But I truly believe that every mom, because of the God-given love in her heart for her children, has in some way demonstrated the love of Christ to us as humanity. Abraham Lincoln said, No man is a poor, and no man, no man is poor who has a godly mother. And I think that is very true. And if you know Abraham Lincoln, he came from a very poor home. And uh, for him to say that had carries, I believe, even more significance. And so in our text today, we're introduced to one of these kinds of mothers I'm talking about, a godly mother. And her name is Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find the story of the motherhood of this wonderful lady named Hannah. From the example of, of this godly woman, we can all learn something about the manner of a godly mother. And that's what we're going to focus on in the time that we spend together in 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and 2 today. And for our ladies, I believe that the truths that we're going to study this morning should implore you to be such a mother. And for all of us who are gathered here, these truths should encourage you to appreciate all the ways that you have or had a mom who embodied these principles. And this is a great way for us to, to be mindful of how to appreciate the moms that God has blessed us with here today. And so as we study 1 Samuel 1, I want you to notice seven mannerisms or characteristics of a godly mother. Why don't we pray together before we dig into them? Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word 
And God, you have stirred my heart with so much appreciation and uh, so, much, um, uh, so much challenges uh, as I've studied these truths as a parent myself. And I pray, God, that you would take these truths and uh, use them in all of our hearts and lives and stir us to mend our ways, stir us to continue in the right way of raising and ministering to our children, and stir us to appreciate the ways that we have had parents who have embodied these truths. And I pray for your blessing and your anointing on our time in your word today. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Seven mannerisms of a godly mother. The first one I want you to note down is this. I want you to note down the prayer of a godly mother. The prayer of a godly mother. Now, uh, this first mannerism that was present in the life of Hannah that we see demonstrated right, out, right off the bat in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is prayer. She was a woman of prayer. And so let's briefly consider the context of the story that demonstrates how her prayer life was born. And uh, starting in verse number 1 of uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 1, the Bible says, Now there was a certain man of Ramath Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, Hannah was married to what we'll begin to see in a moment, a very godly man named Elkanah. And while they had a happy marriage, Hannah had a very difficult problem. And that is that she was barren. She was not able to have children. And some people speculate that this perhaps was why Elkanah took a second wife. Doesn't make it right, still wrong, even in the Old Testament times to do that, but he did. So he had two wives. And the Bible goes on in verse 3 and says, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Benina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, to further exaggerate, exaggerate the problem that, that Hannah was facing, she also began to be taunted by her sister wife, Benina, because she could not have children. And all of this difficulty that went on year after year, it brought Hannah to a climactic point that drove her to her knees in prayer. And verse number 10 tells us about this moment. The Bible says, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall come no razor upon his head. Hannah vowed a vow to the Lord that if God would just entrust to her one man child, she would give this child to the service of the Lord all of his days. And as Hannah poured out her heart to God, the Bible tells us in verse number 12, this is what happened. It says, And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Eli was the high priest. In Israel at this point in time. He was to oversee the affairs that took place at the tabernacle. And he walks in one day and he sees this woman 
uh, in the tabernacle. And uh, she is mouthing words. She kind of, to him, looked like she might have been drunk. Notice what the Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number uh, 13. It says, Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit, and I have neither drunk, uh, uh, drunk uh, neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And the Bible begins to help us understand here, Hannah, the sincerity of her prayer. Now I find it convicting that Eli had never seen someone pray this way in the tabernacle. But here was a woman who, though she did not speak the words vocally out loud in her heart, she mouthed them. And the Bible tells us that she conveyed to the high priest Eli the great burden of her heart to have a child. And the Bible tells us that Eli, after understanding who this woman was and why she was there, he assured her that God was going to answer her prayer. And if you look down at verse number 17, the Bible says, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the, in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned. And they, came to, and they came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that, that she bare a son and called his name what? Samuel. Samuel. Saying, because I had asked him of the Lord. Boy, when she poured out her heart to God, she was assured by the man of God that God was going to answer her prayer, and she never doubted it for a minute. She went home, and God did indeed answer her prayer. And after years of barrenness, God remembered her and allowed her to have that child that she had prayed for. And the Bible says she named him Samuel, a name that means asked of God. And boy, what a wonderful testament to the prayer life of this woman. I find it wonderfully interesting that Hannah's prayer life was developed through the difficulty that God allowed her to go through in the pursuit of motherhood. And I'll tell you something. If anything drives a person to learn how to pray, it's being a parent. <laughs> if you hadn't been a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I love that the child that came from the fervent prayers of this godly woman ended up being the first prophet in the nation of Israel since Moses. In hundreds of years, there had not been another prophet. But the fervent prayers of a mother brought, a, brought the next prophet of Israel into this world. And Hannah prayed to God to give her this child. And I believe that throughout the rest of her life, she continued to pray for God to use this child for His glory and for His purposes. And so what we see first off in Hannah, her first mannerism was that she was a woman of prayer. She knew how to pray for her children. And I say to you, prayer is perhaps the single most important manner of a godly mother. Prayer. One person said, if you follow the greatest men of God back to their beginnings, you will often find a mother kneeling in prayer. 
You look behind the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, and you'll find Susanna on her knees praying. You look behind Charles Spurgeon, and you'll soon find his mother, Eliza, praying. You look behind Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, great missionary to China, and you'll soon find his mother, Amelia, praying for him. Mamas, I say to you, the most important thing that you can do for your children is pray for them. Prayer is not a last resort, and it should not be, but it is a first remedy. It should be the first and most foremost uh, practice that you have in your life for your children. A mother's prayers have power to shake the world. I truly believe that. James 5 and verse 16 says, The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. And let me say this. If you had a mother, have a mother who prays for you, you ought to thank God that you have such a prayer word. Warrior, My mother texted me this morning to tell me she was praying for me, as she does every Sunday. Boy, you ought to thank God if you had a mother such as that. By the way, you had a mom who prayed for you. Are you the answer to your mother's prayers? Or do you know you're living in a different way than what mom was praying for you? It's a great challenge for us. To, to live in such a way to be an answer to our mama's prayers. So we see the prayer of a godly woman. The second mannerism I want you to note down is the, uh, the preparation of a godly mother. The preparation of a godly mother. Now look at verse 21. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse number 21. The Bible says, And the man Elkanah and all his house uh, went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah didn't go up this time. For she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned or until the child's done breastfeeding. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. And so the woman abode and gave her son suck until she had weaned him. Now after God had blessed Hannah with this beautiful little boy, she knew that that this boy would not be hers forever. And so immediately she began to value and steward the time that she knew she was going to have with her little boy to get him ready for the service of the Lord. And uh, the Bible says the child needed to, to stay home with his mother until he was old enough to serve God, until, uh, until the child was weaned and, and the Jewish Culture at that day and time, the, when they would wean their children off breastfeeding, was around three years old. And that's when most people believe three or four years old is, when, uh, is how long this time period took place for. But you know, however long it was, Hannah treasured every moment that God gave her with her beautiful little boy. No doubt she began early. She knew she didn't have as much time as what is normal. She began early to teach and to train her son in the ways of God. The point is, she used those early days of her son's life to prepare her child for God's purpose. And listen to me. A godly mother uses the time that she has with her children to train them for God. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. It's in your notes. 
It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. God has called every single parent to dedicate their children to, to God's purpose for their lives. We aren't raising our kids to do what they think they want to do with their lives. No, God made them. And God has a purpose for their life. And by the way, you will never find more fulfillment in life than in living out God's purpose for your life. And our job as parents is to raise our kids to fulfill God's purpose for their life. And there's two ways that God instructs us to do this. The first way you prepare them to fulfill God's purpose for their life is by teaching them the word of God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up every day of your child's life, you ought to be looking for opportunities to instill the truth of God's word into their life. The second way the Bible tells us we're to prepare our kids for God's ways is not just by teaching them the word of God, but it is also by disciplining them biblically. That's a part of their training. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And I say use of the rod, spanking your children, it's still in the Bible. Amen. Dr. Spock doesn't agree with it perhaps. And our society looks down upon it. But done in love, and done the way the Bible commands, I'm not talking about abuse, I'm talking about training your kids in the ways of the Lord. It is a wonderfully important thing in the development of a young child. Now listen, we are living in a society today that is experiencing the devastating impact of a generation of parents that refuse to tell their children no. Right? I heard one person put it this way one time. They said, uh, uh, some of you have never had your mo mother break off a, a, a twig off a tree and spank you with it, and it shows. All right? And uh, it's an important part of the development of our young children. And no doubt, little Samuel, I don't have any doubt that he got a spanking or two in his development. And it helped shape him into the godly man that he became. Proverbs 13, 24 puts it this severely. It says, he that spares his rod hates his son. But he that loves him chastens him betimes. Do you hate your children? Because if you don't spank them and discipline them biblically, the Bible says you do. Spare the rod, spoil the child. It's still a true principle, even in 2023 in America. And by the way, it's never going to go out of style either. It's always going to be true. Well, how important that is. Now, the kids aren't in here. They would not be saying amen if they were, I guarantee you. The point is, you only get your kids for a little while. All right, you get an infant for what? Nine, ten weeks? You get a toddler for a couple years. You get a child up until they're about 12 years old. And then you get that fun stage called the teenagers. Right? And then they become young adults. And they go off on their own. Listen, you only get so much time in every stage with your children. Understand, in those years, you don't want to squander the time that you have with your children. You want to use the time. To prepare your children to be able to live a life that is honoring and glorifying to the Lord. 
The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 10 that childhood and youth are vanity. It's like the vapor that comes off out of your mouth when you wake up in the early morning and it's cold outside. It's just there that it's gone. That's how fleeting childhood and youth are. That's how long we have with the children that God has given us. And so I challenge you today, mothers and fathers, choose to enjoy the phase that you are in with your kids right now. Because it will not last forever. As we sang a moment ago, cherish the moment. And use those short years you have with your kids to get them ready to live lives that are honoring for the Lord. We see the prayer of a godly mother. We see the preparation of a godly mother. But the third truth I want you to see is the presentation of a godly mother. Now look at verse number 24 in our text, if you would. Verse number 24, the Bible says, And when she, Hannah, had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. The day finally came when Hannah had to let her baby go. Can you imagine? Well, some of you know exactly what that feels like. She left her child. The Bible says she thanked God for blessing her with the years that she had with this child. And she let her child go, admitting that that child was not her child. But that child was God's. I'm going to tell you something. A godly mother understands that she will one day have to let her children go. As parents... The Bible teaches us that our children are on loan to us from God. Proverbs, or Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Lo, children are the heritage of the Lord. God is the one who blesses us with our children. And God's intention is, give, is to give us these children to raise our kids to become godly, functional adults that can contribute to the cause of Christ and to society. So what the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible tells you fathers and you mothers to lead your kids and to love your kids. And to then lead them in such a way that they learn to love the Lord and to have a relationship with the Lord. You are to raise your kids to know God and to choose to live by God's word. You were to raise your kids to know how to be a biblical husband or how to be a biblical wife by your own example and by your teaching. You were to raise your kids to know how to raise kids of their own. You were to raise your kids to be hard workers, to be good citizens, to be contributors to society. But the point is, it is your responsibility as a parent to get your kids ready to present them to the Lord. No eagle. It's an interesting part of God's creation. And uh, in teaching its young how to fly, the eagle will push them out of the nest. And then, if you study this out, they actually will fly and hover underneath their young as they're learning to fly. So if they fall, they can be caught back up, put back in the nest, and pushed back out. And that's really all parenting is. As your kids grow older, you 
begin to push them out of the nest a little bit more, a little bit more, you're getting them ready to be able to spread their own wings and fly. That's our job as parents. Your responsibility is to prepare your child to be independent and to be godly and to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. One day, some of you know this all too well, one day the day will come when you have to let your child go to pursue God's purpose for his or her life. And I say to you young parents, you ought to live every day with that day in mind. Because that day is coming. Let me say a word to you whose children, your children have grown and they have not gone in the way that you sought to prepare them to live in. Listen, all that responsibility does not fall on you. Every child who's raised in a godly home still has a choice to make as to whether or not they're going to live for the Lord or live for, live for sinful things. The best thing you can do for your child, even if your child's gone wayward, is just to continue to love them, set a great example for them, and pray, and pray for them. That's the best thing you can do. But while you still have time, don't squander it. Prepare to present your kid to the Lord. Because the day will come when you have to let them go. And how important it is we understand that. So we see the presentation of a godly mother. Here's the fourth mannerism I want you to note down. Notice the praise of a godly mother. The praise of a godly mother. Hannah was no stranger to praise. And uh, uh, it's obvious that she went up regularly to worship the Lord. But here in this passage of Scripture, we see a very special acclamation of praise from Hannah that came because of the great gratitude she had in her heart because God had answered her prayer and blessed her with a child. And even though she had to let that child go, her heart was still so, so full of praise to the Lord for blessing her with this child in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, in verse 1, the Bible says that Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him are actions weighed. The Bible tells us that Hannah here, I love this, she was just as passionate in her praise as she had been in her petition earlier. And just as hard as she had prayed and asked God for the child, now she, pray, she praised just as hard in thanking God for the child that he had given to her. And boy, Samuel, you know what he had? He had a mother who knew how to praise the Lord. You know what that resulted in? We'll look back at verse number uh, verse number 28 of chapter number 1. If you look there, the last part of verse 28, the Bible says that after she left him there in the tabernacle, the Bible says, and he what? Worshipped the Lord there. Hey, Samuel had a praying mama. And what that resulted in is Samuel being a praising man himself. He knew how to praise the Lord because he'd been brought up in a home with a mama who taught him what it looks like to praise the Lord. And you know, some of the... The most, uh, the most beloved acclamations of praise, prayers of praise in the Bible were given by mothers. You have, uh, uh, you have, of course, Hannah's acclamation here. You have Elizabeth's acclamation in Luke chapter 1. And you have Mary's acclamation of praise for blessing her with a child in Luke chapter 1 as well. These mamas, they knew how to praise the Lord and it had a great impact on their children. What does it mean to praise the Lord? 
Well, praise is essentially exalting God for who He is or for what He has done for us. That's what praise is. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 23 says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. For me personally, some of my fondest memories growing up are singing with mom. Mom would sing with us. We would sing in front of church. We would sing every opportunity that she could get us to sing. Uh, probably my most fondest memory is just driving down the road in the car. And all of us just singing our heads off. And mom always made sure we had godly music playing. We were, there was always a song going on around our house. And boy, mama taught me and our family how to praise the Lord. And I'm thankful for a mom who taught us how to praise. And I say to our detriment, sadly, what our kids hear more from us in our homes more often than not is complaining and not praise. It ought to be your desire to make your home a place where it's common for the Lord to be praised. It's common to hear the sound of praise. Everybody, no matter their age, they ought to praise the Lord. If it's a four-year-old child, a 40-year-old man, an 80-year-old man, whatever it may be, everybody ought to praise the Lord. Psalm chapter 148 verse 12 says, Both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His glory is above earth and heaven. Boy, I love being in a home now where my wife is a wonderful mother. She continues the legacy of teaching our kids to praise the Lord. It's a common thing for us to come home, for me to come home and hear music, godly music playing. Our kids love to sing, and I love to sing with them. And boy, that's how it should be. We're talking about the mannerisms of a godly mother. And boy, if you had a mom who, even if she couldn't sing, okay, I know some of you can't sing, and I won't fault her for that. She tried. She, had, she made sure you heard the voice of God's praise in your home. She made sure you were in church and learned those Sunday school songs. You ought to thank God that you had such a mother. We see the praise of a godly mother. The fifth truth I want you to see is the presence of a godly mother. Now we're running out of time, so I'm going to hasten on this point right here. But in this account in Scripture, in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, there is a stark contrast portrayed between the son of Hannah and the sons of Eli. Between Samuel... And two men known as Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. Samuel was a godly man. Hophni and Phinehas were not godly. They were very ungodly as a matter of fact. Samuel, the Bible says, served God. But Hophni and Phinehas continually sinned against God. Samuel was called by God to serve him. But Hophni and Phinehas were condemned by God. What made the difference? Well, this isn't the whole sum of it. But in part... What made the difference was the presence or the absence of a parent in their life. You see, Samuel had a mom and a dad who were there, who were there for him. They lived not 10 miles away from where Shiloh was. That's where Ramath is, or Ramah is. Not 10 miles away. And the Bible says at least once a year that she came to get him fitted up and give him a new pair of clothes. But I believe that they came as often as they could to come visit Samuel. I believe they were a part of Samuel's life. And one of the reasons that he became the man he was is because he had parents who were involved. Parents who were present in his life. Hophni and Phinehas. No mention is ever made of mom. Maybe she passed away. I don't know. But one thing that is made explicitly clear is that dad was there, but he wasn't ever really there for them. 
You see, dad was too busy with the temple. Dad was too busy with his religious service. Dad was too busy to take time to spend with his boys and to teach them right from wrong and do certain things. And what we see, the difference between the wicked sons of Eli and the godly son of Hannah was that one parent was present and the other parent was not present. And I say it is a manner of a godly mother to be present in her children's lives. One person put it this way. They said, children spell love. T-I-M-E. Time. They need more time than you'll be able to give to them. But children need you to be present in their life. By the way, there are grave consequences to neglecting your kids. Look down at your notes at Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. The Bible says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. You leave your kid to himself, the end result, you won't like it very much. Isn't it sad in our day and time that so many parents use the TV and the video games to babysit their kids? They use their phones. They won't spend time with them. So many parents today, they'd rather focus on a phone, they'd rather focus on a TV, they'd rather focus on their own hobby than actually spend time with their children. And it has not been to our benefit, but to our detriment as a society. Listen to me on this. There is a big difference between being present and being a presence in your child's life. You can be there and not really be all there. Just because you're physically in the house at least once a day when your children are in the house does not mean that you're actually intentionally spending any time with them. And uh, a survey I read years ago, and this was years ago, but it estimated that the average father spends less than 10 actual minutes with each one of his children every day. You could be there and not really be there for them. Not really be present for them in their lives. You know, more important than giving your kids possessions is giving your kids your presence. More important than giving your kids all the things you didn't have is giving your kids all that you have. They don't need your stuff. They need you. Boy, it's important for us as parents to understand the importance of being present for our kids. Don't miss a moment with your kids. They need you and they need you at every phase of life. From the time they're young to the time they're grown adults, there's not going to come a day when they don't need you, even if they don't think it at the time. They need you. And you had a mom who's always been there for you. You ought to thank God that you had such a mom. That you have such a mom. We see the presence of a godly mother. Number six. We see the provision of a godly mother. The provision. Verse number 19 of chapter 2. This is what the Bible says. It says, Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year And when she, uh, when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. You know, Hannah, she never stopped trying to meet the needs of her child. Now, this is my opinion, so take it for what it's worth. But I'm of the opinion that Hannah kept making her son clothes until the day she died. You say, how do you know that? Because I got a mom like that, too. I mean, every single year. Right? Uh, my, my parents were so crazy with things that, uh, listen, I was hunting Easter eggs until I left home. You say, how'd they get you to do that? 
Money, of course. <laughs> when candy wasn't a motivator, money took right over it. I was glad to go find those Easter eggs. I, I still have a mom. Every time I come home, you know what she wants to do? I'm going to cook you your favorite meal. This is the meal. This is the whole meal plan I have for the whole time here. I'm going to cook you like this meal. I'm going to cook this meal. I'm going to cook this meal. And I'm just thinking, praise God, I'm going on vacation as often as I can. <laughs> she, wants, she just wants to roll off the red carpet. Why? She's my mom. She loves me. And it's the manner of a godly woman to want to provide the world for her children. And we see it demonstrated from Hannah. We see it demonstrated in every godly, virtuous woman. Proverbs 31 tells us about such a woman. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Look how much time and attention is given to how she seeks to provide for her family. Verse 13 says, She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with, willing with, with, with her hands. Verse 15 says, She rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Verse 18 says, Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. Verse 21, She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Her mama seeks to provide for her home. I say this is one of the reasons why being a mom is one of the hardest jobs in this world. Now, the few times that Emily has gone away on a retreat, gone away for an event, and I've stayed home with the kids. I'll tell you what the result has been when she got back. I've always told her, I cannot do that. That's the hardest job in the world. I don't know how she does it day after day. Nothing ever stays clean. They never always get along. I mean, the job qualifications for being a mother, I don't think I need it. One of the hardest jobs that exists in this world. One mother said the joy of motherhood is what a woman experiences when all the children are finally in bed. If you have young children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But boy, it's, it's a tough job. But you never tire, even when they're grown, of wanting to be there for them. Wanting to do everything you can to make sure that their needs are met. And the godly mother tirelessly and selflessly seeks to meet her family's needs. Thank God for mothers. The last truth I want you to see is the prize. The prize of a godly mother. Verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went into their home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. Wow. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. In the end, God sure rewarded Hannah for her efforts at being a godly mother, didn't he? She asked for one child. She got six. She got five more. Three boys and, and two girls, or four boys and two girls in total. But I think the greatest reward that Hannah got for choosing to be a godly mother is what the Bible says there at the end of verse number 21. She had children who the Bible says grew before the Lord. Grew before the Lord. You know, a godly mother will always, you mark it down, will always be blessed with the fruits of her labor. Now, truthfully, every child God gives you is a blessing from God. 
Psalm 127.1, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. And happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. i got five now. We're full, okay? <laughs> but I'm thankful for every one of them. It really is a blessing from God. Every child God gives you is a blessing. Understand there are some people, maybe in this room even, you wanted children and you couldn't have them. And I, I, under, I understand the hurt that you have in your heart for that. Much like what Hannah experienced at the beginning of this chapter. If God does give you a child, you ought to be thankful for that. It truly is a blessing from the Lord. What is even more rewarding is to see the kids that you have grow up to live, to live for, and to love God. Look at your notes of these couple verses and we'll be done. Proverbs 23, verse 24 says, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. 3 John chapter 1, verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. You can get a gift for your mom for Mother's Day, and you should. You should get a good one. But the greatest gift that you can give your mom on any day is to live for God. And if you haven't been living for God, the greatest gift you could do for your mother today is to get right with God. To turn back to the way that she taught you to live. As we consider the example of Hannah, I would say Hannah did not regret for one minute being a godly mother. And one, as we look at her example today, it's a great challenge for all of us as parents to pattern our lives after her example. Be a mom who prays for your kids. Be a mom who prepares your kids to live for God. Be a mom who presents your kids to live out God's purpose for their lives. Be a mom who praises God before your children. Be a mom who provides for your family. And as you do so, you can be sure with 100% certainty that you will enjoy the prize for having been such a godly mom, such a godly parent. And these examples are also wonderful examples to remind us of the reasons that each one of us have to be thankful to God and to our mothers for being this kind of mom.